Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is one that I've gotten request after request after request for, the murder of Egypt Covington. I intended on doing this case in one episode until, after finishing my research, I was able to get in contact with her brother and his fiance. and, well, there's so much more to this case than meets the eye. So, for episode one, we'll go over the murder of Egypt Covington, what the media tells you. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Twenty-seven-year-old Egypt Covington was one of those women that everyone loved, and I'm talking literally everyone. Everywhere she went, she met someone who became a friend, and she ran into someone who already was one. M Live says that her siblings used to call her Kevin Bacon because of the movie Six Degrees of Separation. She never met a stranger. She worked as a beer and wine distributor for Rave Associates out of Ann Arbor, Michigan, and day-to-day would go to different restaurants and bars in the area, filling their orders and, as always, making an impression. She was known for her infectious personality, her kindness, and her million-dollar smile. And the fact that she never hopped on the gossip train, which is a hard train to stay off of, but she was just never interested. Did I mention she was beautiful, like born that way kind of beautiful, like I woke up like this kind of beautiful. And if all that wasn't enough for you to want to be her when you grow up, she could sing too. I know I keep going on about how awesome she was, but it was a known fact. Egypt was everything everyone wanted to be, and luckily for her boyfriend Curtis, he had the privilege of loving her. They were those people who always had a thing for one another and dated here and there, but it was just never the right time. However, in early 2017, the stars seemingly aligned for them. They were both single, working normal day jobs, and were both at a point in their lives where they were ready to get serious and settle down. And from the outside looking in, the two of them couldn't have been any happier. In fact, in July of 2017, Curtis was going to move out of his apartment and into her house in Van Buren Township, Michigan, with her fur child, Ruby, who was her pride and joy, they were officially going to become a little family. Unfortunately, that day would never come. 
On Thursday, June 22, 2017, True Crime Daily reports that Egypt was talking with her best friend Lindsay around 8 p.m. about her possibly coming over, but Lindsay was tired, so she invited Egypt to come to her house instead. Egypt was too excited about Curtis moving in in the next few weeks, so she decided to stay in and clean instead. Around 10 p.m., Egypt and her boyfriend sent their goodnight text, her telling him nighty-night and everything seemed normal. When Curtis woke up the next morning, he sent her your standard good morning text, but unlike every other morning before, she didn't text back. In fact, she didn't return any of his texts that day, or calls for that matter. As the day goes on, Curtis gets a little more concerned, but he just kept calling and texting, figuring she would eventually respond. He tells True Crime Daily that that evening, he had a late Father's Day dinner with his daughter, and once he wrapped up with that, he decided to swing by Egypt's house just to make sure everything was okay. He got there around 7.15 p.m., and nothing, and I mean nothing, could have prepared him for what he was about to see. He walked in the door of the home in the 45,000 block of Hull Road, the home he was just weeks away from moving into, and inside was Egypt. She was dead. According to Curtis, he immediately ran out of the house and called 911. The police notified Egypt's family, and her stepmother Christine tells Click on Detroit that they were in complete hysteria. They were shocked and couldn't believe this was happening. This doesn't happen to people like Egypt. Who would even want to hurt her, let alone kill her? The police don't mention how Egypt was killed, but quickly rule it a homicide. Her father, Chuck, gives WXYZ a message for her killer. If you see this, you're living with the evil that you did, and you know what you did was evil. Whatever happened to Egypt, it was bad. Really, really bad. Just days after her murder, the police tell the public that they don't believe this was random, that Egypt likely knew her killer but still don't mention her cause of death, something her boyfriend and her parents seem to know, so leaving this information out looks like a calculated decision. The fact that they note this was likely done by someone she knows probably means that there was no sign of forced entry, but we'll see as this case goes on. The community is devastated. The loss of Egypt was a statement. She was someone they all knew and loved and someone who loved them all so openly and genuinely. Her parents quickly put together a GoFundMe account so that they can put up a plaque in her honor at one of her favorite parks. She was really into yoga. In fact, she was working on becoming an instructor and would always do it outside if she could. If you had any question as to how deep the community love for her ran, within just three days of her murder, that GoFundMe had raised over $11,000. On the 16th, Click on Detroit posted an article saying that Egypt had been shot in the head, but that information was later removed. When we see this happen, it usually means police are purposefully withholding specifics about the case, hoping someone they interview will share information about the crime that only the killer will know. They also report that police have spoken to multiple people who have all come in willingly, but as of yet, there have been no named suspects or persons of interest. The Van Buren Township Police does, however, mention that they've sent off some evidence to the Michigan State Police, so it sounds like there may have been some DNA collected at the scene. Chuck Covington, her father, talks with CBS Detroit later that same day and confirms what we suspected earlier, that there was, in fact, no sign of forced entry into Egypt's house. 
On the 27th, the lead detective on the case confirms with MLive that they're limiting the release of information about the investigation, like the cause of Egypt's death, because they have details that only her killer would know. Yeah, we called that. But at this point, the beans have kind of already been spilled, whether they were redacted or not. Ironically, the following day, the exact same news station is the first mainstream media source to confirm Egypt was, in fact, shot in the head without removing it later. Her father is a no-holds-barred badass who tells MLive, I call out for anyone that knows anything to talk to police because this entity, this animal, this pathetic son of a bitch, whoever could have done that, death isn't good enough for them. That doesn't bring her back. On June 30th, Click on Detroit adds a new piece to Egypt's puzzle. Not only was there no forced entry, but there was no sign of a struggle either. Egypt was 5'10 and worked out on the daily. The girl could bench 200 pounds. She wouldn't be one to go out without one hell of a fight, which makes me wonder if she was shot in the back of the head. If she saw a gun coming towards her, you would think there would be some kind of natural fight or flight response. But if she was shot in the back of the head, she never would have seen it coming, thus no sign of a struggle. For this to happen, for someone to get into her house and have the opportunity to kill her without her fighting back, it would have had to have been someone she knew, someone she never would have thought would try to hurt her. A vigil is held in her honor on July 1st. It was originally going to be held at Fraser's Pub, where she had won their country idol contest the year before, but there was such an overwhelming response that they had to have it at a larger venue, the Arbor Brewing Company Microbrewery. Almost five hundred people attend and actually max out the space's occupancy. Instead of a moment of silence, they have 27 seconds of applause for Egypt, one second for every year she blessed the lives of those around her. During the event, they ask everyone to be good and be good to one another because that's what Egypt was. She was good to anyone and everyone she met. The brewery announces that they plan to create a new brew in Egypt's honor, which they'll call a girl named Egypt, which was coincidentally her Instagram handle, the Instagram she last updated the last day anyone ever heard from her. The beer winds up being a double white IPA brewed with passion fruit, elderflower, and peach and comes in a box with a gorgeous photo of Egypt and her larger-than-life smile front and center. At this point, her GoFundMe had reached over $16,000 in donations, which far exceeded the amount needed for that memorial plaque. So in addition, they created an annual scholarship in her name for students studying music at Belleville High School. That's not all they do, though. In honor of her love for animals, they also donate a portion to the Dragonfly Rescue, and the rest is donated to Sage House Ann Arbor, a shelter for women who have fallen victim to domestic abuse and sexual assault. All of the donations from the GoFundMe have had a specific tie to Egypt's life, and though the family doesn't specify exactly why they chose to donate to a women's shelter, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think there's something more, something we don't know about yet. The police update Detroit News and say they're narrowing down their scope. They don't say much more, but it sounds like they're headed down the path of a person of interest. With that update, you'd assume the case would make some moves, but more than a month goes by without even a single mention of Egypt or her murder. It was almost like after the vigil, people just stopped talking about it, at least in the media. 
Lamar Advertising comes through in the Covington's family time of need, and they donate six, I repeat, six billboards to the cause, one on 94, another on 96 West, and four others around the area. Her face is plastered above the highway with the message, Seeking Information Relating to the Death of Egypt Covington, Van Buren Township, Friday, June 23, 2017, with the instruction to email any information to the Van Buren Township Police. The date is interesting. The last time she was ever heard from was Thursday the 22nd, but reading between the lines, it looks like they believe she was killed sometime after midnight, which would be at least two hours after her and her boyfriend said their good nights. Her official obituary also lists her date of death as the 23rd. I'd love to tell you that updates continued to trickle in, but they did not. Months and months and months pass before anyone hears anything about Egypt's case, and when they do, it's not from police, it's from her mother. In March of 2018, after nine entire months with no movement in her daughter's case, Tina decides it's time to hire a private investigator, and who can disagree at this point? Nine months seems like plenty of time to get that evidence back from the state police. Were there any cameras around the area where she was killed? There was a church and a gas station just down the road. What about her neighbors? Did they hear or see anything? What about a tower dump? You guys know I love tower dumps. Whose cell phones were in the area of Egypt's house the night she was murdered and who's left the area afterward? This seems like such a solvable case, especially considering we know it was likely done by someone she knew. You've already got a narrowed down suspect pool, so why is it not playing out that way? To ease the community's concerns, a lieutenant at the Van Buren Police Department tells Fox 4 that tips are still coming in daily, that they're still waiting on results from the lab, which frankly seems to be taking forever, and that they plan to involve the FBI soon. He also says that they're zeroing in on a suspect and hope to release his or her name in the near future. So there's hope. And while this article brings some optimism to the case, it also adds a little darkness. We knew that Egypt had been shot, then we found out she'd been shot in the head, but Fox 4 adds a new detail to the crime. Egypt had been bound. Which kind of changes the lack of a struggle situation. Sure, tying someone up might create a struggle, but once they're bound, there's not really much they can do, and now you have all the time in the world to clean up your mess. Knowing she was bound, you have to ask whether or not her killer came to her house with the tools to bind her, or if that was something they did in the heat of the moment with something lying around. In the Sierra Joggin case, we saw duct tape and zip ties, all something her killer took with him when looking for victims, which proved that it was clearly a premeditated event. We already know there was no sign of forced entry. The lack of a sign of struggle is kind of moot, knowing she was bound. So what she was bound with might shed some light on what exactly might have happened that night. We already know whoever it was came to her house with a gun, but plenty of people carry guns legally and don't shoot people with them. And plenty of her friends did have concealed carry permits, but if her killer came with a gun and something to tie her up with, we go from this possibly being a crime of passion in a fit of rage that wasn't necessarily planned to a mission that was carried out by a perpetrator who had one thing and only one thing in mind when they stepped foot in her house. 
In the true fashion of this case, another full month passes with no updates. Her mother makes contact with the media again, sharing her outrage that her daughter's case doesn't seem like it's being taken seriously. And just like that, a person of interest is named. And no updates on any results from the lab or what led them to this person. We just get a name. Kenneth Mahalik. The only person Egypt dated in the interim of her and Curtis's relationship. I couldn't find him listed on her Facebook friends list, but I did find eight other people with his last name, which isn't exactly common. Clearly, while Kenny and Egypt dated, she got close with his family and remained close enough friends with him that they didn't play the unfriend game once the two parted ways. What's interesting, though, is that Egypt's mom isn't happy about this break in the case. As a matter of fact, she's kind of pissed. In a Facebook group, Tina posted that Kenneth had been questioned by police early on in this case, and I'm talking for hours on end. According to her, he voluntarily allowed searches of everything he owned, including his phone, and nothing has changed, so why all of a sudden has his name been thrown out there? There seems to be no new evidence that brought out this sudden person of interest, and she feels like they're just putting his name out there to appease the public, to make it look like they're moving forward, and to get her off their backs. Egypt's sister Beth, however, doesn't share the same sentiment, telling True Crime Daily that she begged her sister to stop talking to Kenny, describing their previous relationship as volatile. She tells the outlet that he was controlling and would go through her phone and call her friends when Egypt wouldn't respond to his texts or calls fast enough. She says she learned just how bad their relationship was when they went on a family vacation together. At some point during the trip, she says Egypt broke down and told her sister everything that had been going on. That one time during an argument, Kenny allegedly punched a wall next to her head. And on another occasion at a friend's wedding, it got so bad that he started shoving her and eventually pushed her up against a wall. Curtis joins in on this interview with True Crime Daily and adds that the police were actually called when this happened, but that Egypt decided not to press charges. I did confirm through her family that there was a report made about this particular incident. Naturally, the alleged abusive ex seems to fit the bill, right? But does that make him a murderer? 11 months pass with no charges, no arrests, and a sole person of interest that no moves have been made on and no information from law enforcement about anything that happened on the day Egypt was murdered. And that's when True Crime Daily comes through like they have been and releases a report on this case that is unmatched by any and all other outlets combined to date. I'll link this report in Egypt's highlight on my Instagram at the Heather Ashley so you can read it in its entirety. They start off by talking to Curtis about the moment he got to Egypt's house that Friday evening. He says that when he pulled up, the door was open, which didn't make any sense. Egypt was absolutely obsessed with her little dog, Ruby, and would never risk her getting out. Curtis walks inside and everything is quiet. Ruby's usually running up to him, excited to show him love. But this time, Ruby just stares at him and starts slowly walking towards the back of the house. He said it felt like she was almost asking him to follow her. As Curtis got closer to the back door, the first thing he saw were his girlfriend's feet and then her arms bound behind her back. He says she was lying in the fetal position. The last thing he noticed was her head, which was covered in blood. This is when he says he immediately ran outside and called 911 and tells True Crime Daily that he feels like he kind of blacked out at that moment, that everything is a blur. 
True Crime Daily reports that Egypt was shot in the back of the head, a detail previously unreported. But the most shocking part was what she was bound with. Her arms weren't bound in duct tape or with zip ties. She was bound with Christmas lights. The Christmas lights she used to decorate her back door with. Whoever did this bound her with an item of opportunity, something they didn't bring with them, something she had around her house, which means maybe this wasn't totally planned. Curtis talks to True Crime Daily about how he was naturally number one on police's radar after he found her and that he was given a lie detector test. But you guys know how I feel about lie detector tests. They're garbage and a waste of everyone's time. No one reads them the same way. They're not admissible in court and more often than not seem to result in tunnel vision when there's a lack of actual evidence. And don't even get me started on what happens when people refuse to take them, which I never would. So go ahead and put me in that box. But let's move on. Next, they talk about Kenny, and it's not pretty. According to Egypt's sister and friends, he wasn't the kind of ex who walked away quietly or ever really seemed to believe that the end was really the end. Her brother told the outlet that Egypt felt like he may have been tracking her somehow because it seemed like everywhere she went, Kenny was there. About a month before she was killed, Egypt spent the night at Curtis's place, and he tells them that he watched Kenny's truck pull into his apartment complex parking lot and stop right behind Egypt's car. Curtis watched as Kenny got out of his truck, walked around Egypt's car, peeped through her windows, and then got back in his truck and drove off. When Curtis confronted him about it, Kenny claimed that he just happened to be in the area when he saw her sunroof open in the rain. Less than a week before Egypt was killed, she went to the Belleville National Strawberry Festival, and guess who just so happened to show up? Kenny. Curtis says he saw Egypt walking towards him pretty quickly with Kenny behind her. Egypt tells him that Kenny somehow found out that he was moving in with her and that he wasn't happy about it. Knowing all of this, Egypt's mom still doesn't think that Kenny had anything to do with her daughter's murder. Her dad, Chuck, on the other hand, is another story. It turns out that a lot of those billboards that Lamar Advertising put up were on the street Kenny lived on and the immediate surrounding areas. He would have had to have passed them multiple times a day. Chuck told True Crime Daily, This is where I break from what my daughter would want me to say, but I hope the killer walks by there, drives by there, and gets so aggravated that they put a gun in their mouth and take care of it for all of us. They try to do an interview with Kenny, but he has a lawyer and has since he was taken in for questioning the day after Egypt's murder. He requests that all questions go through his attorney, but does tell them that he was never abusive towards Egypt. With the attempted interview with Kenny being a bust, they're able to get a statement from his attorney, which reads, Van Buren Township Police noted in their recent press release that my client was not currently in communication with the department, which is a bit misleading. He fully cooperated with the police, interviewed with them on multiple occasions, provided a full timeline of his whereabouts during the days surrounding Miss Covington's death, and has remained in town the entire 10 months of this investigation. 
Further, since being retained to represent him in late June 2017, I have reached out and spoken with Van Buren Township Police on dozens of occasions, asking for updates and seeing if they needed anything from us, which kind of aligns with Tina's concerns about them listing him publicly as a person of interest. Why now? What changed? True Crime Daily finishes up their article by saying that police are still, I repeat, still waiting on DNA evidence to come back from the lab, which seems insane. But I think a round of applause needs to go out to them for the incredible lengths that they went to to report on this case. They did more to thoroughly cover Egypt's case than any other outlet had at that point, so... And that was the last informative report ever done on Egypt's case. That was April of 2018. It has been more than three years since Egypt was killed, and there have been no updates on that mysterious DNA evidence. They haven't escalated their person of interest to a suspect. There have been no charges. Absolutely no new information has been shared that would indicate this case is still active and ongoing. In early 2020, Fox 4 spoke to Egypt's mom, who says that investigators have stopped talking to her altogether. In fact, they told her that she was messing up their investigation. Her brother and his fiancée, Lindsay, have also tried reaching out, including to the township supervisor, who wouldn't talk to her about anything, and also told her that she was jeopardizing the investigation. When she asked him how, he just said, you've been told how you're jeopardizing it. And this is a bold-ass statement considering everything I have learned since finishing my original research for this case. A protest was held on Monday, last Monday, June 22nd of 2020, to request that the case be handed over to the Michigan State Police. Lindsay tried to speak with the township supervisor face-to-face prior to the March for Justice, but was shockingly denied. She winds up taking the bullhorn and flat out calling it like it is, saying that a black woman was killed in their town and that the VBPD refuses to let the state police look at her case. That if it was one of their white daughters, this probably would have gone a lot differently. There's a video of her talking and she's rightfully pissed and shaking because she is so passionate about getting justice for Egypt. And that's when she catches a glimpse of that township supervisor walking away. She yells out to him, you're walking away. You're walking away because you can't handle the heat. You won't talk to me. I've emailed you 13 times. You won't talk to me. You'll talk to me now. Talk to everybody about what you're doing for Egypt Covington. Her life matters. And just like that, everyone starts chanting, give the case up. Give the case up. Lindsay is the best friend we all need. According to Click on Detroit, the VBPD has thus far refused to transfer the case, telling Egypt's brother that they have a handle on it, and there hasn't been any indication since the protest that that's changing. After finishing up my research on this case, I reached out to compliment the work Egypt's brother and Lindsay had been doing and wound up talking to them for hours and hours and hours. And what I thought I knew about this case wasn't even the tip of the iceberg. 
In next week's episode, we'll go over the 911 call, which I now have a recording of. We'll go over her autopsy report, which I have a copy of. We'll discuss her crime scene photos, which I have looked through extensively. And let me tell you now, in every possible way, this case has never been given a true chance for justice. But maybe with enough of you on Egypt's team demanding it, fighting for it, maybe, just maybe, we can get Egypt the justice she deserves. If you know anything about the murder of Egypt Covington, if you heard something, saw something, a friend of a friend posted something on Facebook that gave you a weird vibe, anything, please email EgyptCovingtonTips at yahoo.com. I'll post a slide in her highlight on my Instagram. That's E-G-Y-P-T-C-O-V-I-N-G-T-O-N. T-I-P-S at yahoo.com. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Egypt's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. And join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about the ins and outs of this case. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime or for just one whole dollar a month. Your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you the second installment of this case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.